welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Allen. This episode, we're talking with Marie Cavasora, who runs a team of dairy entrepreneurs in the Philippines and who founded a company called Calibu Dairy. Here's a question for you. Have you ever had Carabao milk butter? Well, actually, let me start over. You should have Carabao milk butter. This super smooth, outrageously creamy butter is like the best thing you could ever put on a split pandesal fresh out of the oven, you know, when you visit the Philippines. I swear, you'll wonder why no one talks about this more. Well, today we're going to change that and talk about Carabao milk and all the products you can derive from it for like 45 minutes. So this is my contribution to that. Calibu makes three things and they make them really well. They make yogurt, butter, and cheese. With milk from naturally grass-fed carabaos, that's the Philippine water buffalo, and you'll see these carabaos dot the Philippine countryside pretty easily. They include additional variants as well, like yogurt sweetened with native honey or coconut sugar. Each of these products is so good, and I know I'm like a spokesperson for it at this point. But honestly, if you've never had Carabao Milk Dairy, I highly recommend you make it a point to sample some on your next visit to the Philippines. Every one of these foods is delicious because of the quality of its main ingredient. Carabao milk, which, compared to cow's milk, contains almost double the calcium and phosphorus, over 30% more protein, and half the cholesterol of cow's milk. And the thing is, in the Philippines, 99% of the dairy consumed in the country is imported from outside of the country. That's basically all of it, 99%. So that means that if you're in the Philippines or, you know, anywhere in the world really, but eating something that's made in the Philippines and has some type of dairy product in it, like maybe ube ice cream or powdered pulveron, that stuff has woven its way in and out of the country more times than you can probably count and more times than any other type of food. That's basically what prompted this episode for me, because... Frankly, I know nothing about Carabao milk, but I'm familiar with it, and I remember seeing it a lot. You know, even driving an hour or two outside of the city, you'll easily spot a few Carabaos along the side of the highway. And uh, I remember eating this, this one food that is pretty commonly produced with Carabao milk, and that's Casson Petit, which is basically a fresh cheese made with Carabao milk and salt. Kiasun Puti itself is really close to halloumi, another fresh cheese, in terms of taste and texture. But the stuff that's prepared close to where you eat it, you know, with that full fat, lightly kind of grassy and floral note to it, oh man, nothing compares. So because it, you know, it doesn't have any other preservatives, it's meant to be consumed the same day. It doesn't have a long shelf life and is really kind of a specialty product that you have when you visit provinces like Laguna, where they're quite known for their Kesson Puti. Anyway, this stuff is delicious and creamy and rich, and 
typically people fry slabs of it in butter and use it as sort of like sandwich filling, again with pandesal. And uh, <laughs> frankly, I love fried cheese. So that love for it is there. But after I heard about the fact that you could make other products with carabao milk, especially the butter and the yogurt, I just had to try this for myself. Carabaos are ubiquitous across the Philippines, and that makes me wonder, why aren't more carabaos raised for their milk instead of just being used as draft animals? The answers to this are pretty complex, but with thanks to Marie, I think I've started to understand the problem a little bit better. I do have to apologize, though. The audio quality of this interview isn't that great, but I'll step in where we need it. And I hope you learned as much from this interview as I did. Here's Marie. So my name is Marie Cabosora. I'm a social entrepreneur for Calabu. And I am currently a seed teacher. So seed is the school of GK Enchanted Farm, which stands for School for Experiential Entrepreneurial Development. I am a teacher, I teach communications, and I'm a mentor, and I'm also a dorm aunt, or dorm tita, which they say, which means I live in the dorm with 16 girls part-time. Because for half the time, I go to Manila for, to tend to Calabu, because that's where most of our market is. Calabu's products include a fresh cheese called queso cariño, with Mama Boo and Baby Boo at the middle for the Carabao milk mozzarella and Bocconcini-style cheeses. There's the butter, called Booter, I know, and Yogi Boo for the Greek-style yogurt line. Clearly, I'm hooked. So I asked Marie to tell us a little bit more about how Calabu as the brand came to be. It's a social enterprise, but we purvey all natural or naturally nutritious, healthy, premium carabao milk-based products. So dairy products from carabaos that have been grass-fed. And so with a push on, you know, natural goodness, because as we know, milk, when you go back to the basics of it, it's actually like a very nutritious food. So we want to focus on that and create dairy products in the Philippines that's a lot more... It should be more common. So when you think about Carabao in the Philippines, it's actually our native animal, and it is most commonly used as a draft animal. So we're an agricultural country, but it's also a developing country, so most of the farmers use Carabaos to plow their land, mm-hmm. clear their land. So while we have 3 million Carabaos in the Philippines, most of them owned by smallholder farmers, only 35,000 is used for dairy. Here, it's a, an overworked, you know, underrated docile animal. And I think about carabao's ah, it's very synonymous to the farmer. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the carabao, which is a tropical animal, the milk that it produces is premium milk compared to the common cow milk. So let's just pretend both of them are grass-fed. So it's an even playing field. And a drop per drop, carabao milk is healthier in that it has... According to Marie, almost double the calcium and phosphorus is high in vitamins A, B, K, and E, all important to childhood development, and half the amount of cholesterol in cow's milk. Carabao milk in itself is higher in fat, yes, but 
It's the good kind, with complex fatty acids, both saturated and unsaturated, in amounts that are beneficial to the body. The richness makes the product better, not just better, but creamier and better textured um, dairy products from it. Okay. With that higher fat content, farmers can actually make more dairy products per liter compared to cow's milk. Since I wasn't able to actually see the carabaos being milked, Marie adds that usually what really strikes people about fresh carabao milk is its color. Carabao milk itself is this pearly white compared to fresh cow's milk, which in reality tends to be a bit more cream colored. That tinge of color in cow's milk comes from carotene like the beta-carotene in carrots, and Marie explains what really makes carabao milk nutritionally superior to cows is that with the carabao, it's already done all the work for you in terms of processing carotene, which allows your body to absorb vitamin A efficiently to keep things like your eyes, your skin, and your bones in a healthy condition. Next, I ask Marie, what exactly did she first focus on when they started Calibu? A big part of why I was really interested in learning more about Calibu and what I want to share with people as well is that you're absolutely right. A lot of people who visit rural areas of the Philippines do kind of associate the Carabao with farming land. But you're also right in that they're underutilized for the dairy. I guess in in your early conception of, of Calibu, like was that a big driver for why that was what you decided to focus on for your social enterprise? Well, yes and no, because really the social enterprise exists to help the farmers. Despite the fact that you know, the country is booming mm-hmm. and they continue to be at the bottom, the bottom of all economic classes mm-hmm. for a very long time. They continue to be hungry, they continue to be in survival mode, right? It's crazy and that's like a, that's like a huge number of them. According to 2015 stats published by the Philippine government, nearly 35% of Filipinos who live below the poverty line work as farmers. So I thought, well, if you really want to help them, what are the things that we can do to really improve their lives that's not so radical, right? And it's not just about giving money. This is never just about giving money. So what happened is that when Marie arrived at the Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm and shortly after decided to stay, she took over an existing Carabao dairy enterprise that unfortunately was abandoned by its initial owner. I wasn't necessarily thinking about dairy in particular, right? but when it, um, when it opened up, then I started thinking about it. And at that time, they were only selling kesung pute, some cream cheese, like flavored milk. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. If I'm going to do, why am I going to do that if everybody else and their mothers and fathers are doing that when you think about carbon milk? So Many places in the Philippines have their own versions of kesung pute, that fresh cheese, and pastillas, which is a milk candy. But these foods aren't really consumed on a regular basis. As Marie describes, they're typically pasalubong, which is food that you bring home to your loved ones when you come back from vacation or go someplace you normally don't visit. There are cottage industry in these towns, with sales that peak during the summer months and around Christmas time and Holy Week. 
The rest of the year, it's hard for these farmers and dairy producers to make a constant living. So in that sense, Marie says she realized that I want to make my difference, so... In the process of drawing up her business plans, one of the first questions she had was to answer, how do we get Filipinos to even eat cheese? And I know in the Philippines, we're not a cheese-eating country. We eat Eden cheese, which is really not cheese, it's a cheese product, right? So for a lot of the people, they don't eat cheese on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a hard sell. We actually started with aged cheese. We had a partner. It wasn't like we're going to produce it here, but we had a partner who was interested. Okay, let's talk about white labeling it for the time being. Mm-hmm. Right? It helped me focus on what these products are and really think things through what the, what the process would be like to sell it. But at the end of the day, it's just hard to make aged cheese in the Philippines given our tropical climate, the humidity, resources like the machinery and temperature-controlled aging rooms you need, refrigeration, and other stuff that Marie would need to produce those cheeses on a profitable scale. They are a business, after all. Yeah, we tried it a bit, a lot of positive responses, but it took it helped put Caleb on the map in terms of innovative um, Carabao dairy products. So it started there, but I've already said in my head, I want it to be a premium product because, look, this Carabao milk as a raw material is premium. It is a superior product than cow milk mm-hmm. compared to the commodity stuff that's out there. And I'm going to position it as the champagne of dairy, or okay. like the foie gras of dairy, or the wagyu beef of dairy. And people need to see it that way. Actually, supply is very low of Carabao milk, or actually milk in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So let me go back to just provide the, the business aspect of it. The Philippines imports 99% of our dairy meat. So 99%, 80% in milk powder form. So I want to let that sink in for a minute. An astounding 99% of the dairy in the Philippines, whether in cheese or milk form, is not produced in the country and has to be imported into the islands. 99%. I keep saying it because it's a crazy number. And yes, totally in line with what I thought it would be. I think I may have tasted fresh cow's milk once in my lifetime before I came to Canada. And looking at other Southeast Asian countries, like China, with the exception of Tibet and the northern parts of it, places near the equator don't have a strong cheese-making heritage because we just haven't had the reason, or really the long-standing capacity to age cheeses. They thrive in cold and can survive in hot weather. This is also why the only kind of milk that most Filipinos know is the powdered kind. Shelf-stable, very widely consumed, pretty cheap, and taught to most that milk is the key, and it's good for our bodies, and we need milk for the calcium. Everyone in school from the 1920s onward knows this. But then again, Filipinos prior to that time survived just fine without milk. I just can't get over how much we depend on this amount, this much imported milk. 80% in dried powdered form. I would love to see that shift towards other, more sustainable sources of calcium. Which brings us back to Carabao milk. 
you see an opportunity in supply and opportunity in the market. So I want to focus on quality. Right? So I want to focus on producing real good carabao milk. Like, like I said, the Wagyu beef up there. So Marie explains that if we broke down these statistics further, we'd see that, on average, people in the Philippines consume about 22 kilos of dairy a year. That's like 22 one-liter boxes of milk. Not that much. But if we look at the actual amount of dairy that's produced in the entire country, we can only make about 200 grams of dairy per person for the year if we relied on milk made in the Philippines. So, of course we need to import. Ridiculous, right? At least in my lifetime or the next two or three generations would ever produce that much. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to. So then the question for her became... How do we now really honor and valorize carabao milk as a raw material? So that's really the positioning for us, for Calibri. And how do we do that? Well, we're going to demonstrate how delicious the end products are. Fortunately, we have a partnership with the Philippine Carabao Center, which to me, it's a government agency, but it restores your faith in government, in the people who run things. You know, I mean, rightly so that the Philippines has a reputation for, you know, corrupt government agencies. They're there, you cannot deny it. However, there's also really amazing people there who have a true love for country. And I'm so blessed to be working with an agency like that. Very innovative, very professional, very responsive, just they know their stuff. And so in the end... The farmers, when we train them, we can now train them to produce high-value milk that we will purchase at a higher price because they're able to produce high-quality milk on a regular basis. So the target is really smallholder farmers in different parts of the country. So how did this journey start for Marie? From the beginning, I said, okay, we don't have a lot of money, right? So how do we now optimize? For me, I see the enterprise more like a, as a, a potluck party. Everybody coming together, bringing the best, what they have to offer. And together, we create this really amazing experience. Tito Tony, Tony, Tony Malato, said, when you dream for your country, it can't be small. Something big, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm not just gonna make a livelihood project. This is gonna be big. This is the reason why I stayed in the Philippines for. Right? So just quick background. I'm a Bilik Bayan. Lived in the States for over 20 years. I was living in San Francisco before I moved back to the Philippines. And I, but it was because of this, the work of Lawat Kalinga, that made me decide to stay. And the opportunity to do something like this, meant that my efforts will not go to waste because of the network and the platform for GK, it really gave me hope that I can bring about something as audacious as, you know, helping build the dairy industry in the Philippines. So I said, I don't want to, then in which case, then I'm not going to build my little dairy hut, make my little products. There's a lot of resources currently available to us. Resources like factories that Marie wouldn't have to put up capital funds to build because of their partnerships with organizations like the Philippine Carabao Center. So they're very well versed, they know they provide that kind of support, they have relationships with the cooperatives. So I said, well, at this point while we're starting, there's no need for us to start from the ground. So I've identified partners who can work with us. 
with the same values. And I would be frank with them, like, this is, this is why we exist. You want to help the farmers. These are values of integrity and excellence and transparency. And if you don't want to be part of it, that's okay, because the right people will come. I mean, it's having that kind of frank conversation, right? And we talk about, we talk about God, about faith. I mean, try having that kind of conversation in the States. In the U.S.? That kind of personal relationship that evolves, you know, in the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? it's, everything is about relationships. And mm-hmm. even a lot of people are thinking about and realizing that relationships is really what makes the world go round. I'm starting here, right? I've got nothing. I have nothing. I just have an idea and this big, crazy dream. I have no money to put to invest. I have some to support myself. As I work on this, at least I can feed myself and take care of all that. Um, so this big dream is shared, and like with, with, with not any money, but what can I do to make this stuff happen is, is this. So, okay. I know in the Philippines we tend to do things on our own. I gotta start my own thing, I gotta start my own project. I mean, what's the point? You're really not maximizing, optimizing the resources that's available. But it's really about the whole bayanihan, right? We always say here, we, to borrow an African proverb, right? If you wanna go alone, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, do it together. together. So it's really so much so like that. And it was an adjustment for me, having come from the States, right? And not just States. I mean, I lived in New York, I lived in Toronto, I lived in Hong Kong, but like fast-paced cities. To actually slow down and nurture the relationships. Um, to really breathe and like make that happen and work together. Because otherwise, if we don't, then the whole mission and the whole reason why we exist goes away, right? So those are our ground, like our ground rules or the values that we share with everyone who want to work with us. So it was that. So this is, I've got this dream, let's do it. And so Calibu launched in November 2016 at the Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm. We haven't taken on investors at this moment. We have people who have expressed interest, but what we need are people who can actually make stuff happen. And some of those things that have happened for Marie and her growing team include developing and market testing those products that they made from carabao milk. The kasupati, their version of the fresh cheese, this thick Greek-style yogurt, the yogibu, and the butter. Oh my god, the butter. I asked Marie to tell us more. We started with, already in my head, it's going to be a premium product. It's not going to be pastillas, it's, going to be, it's not going to be kasupati. But I also wanted to work on what's familiar, right? So. So let's take kesempute for example. It's it's really good cheese, but when you but when you think about it, it's very similar to the mozzarella de bufala, right? It's almost the same animal. So what makes it different? How come people would willingly pay this much money and this much? Okay, so this is a familiar concept. People hesitate on spending money for something that holds a lower, somewhat less value for them, however they define it. Like, for people who have no problem paying 30 bucks for a plate at a dinner at a French restaurant, you know, they may not even consider that for a Chinese or Indian restaurant. In the Philippines, this means that people spend upwards of like a thousand pesos on Italian mozzarella that's imported, which, you know, is good. But to not consider or even try the local water buffalo cheese and try to make room for those kinds of products on your menu if you're a chef is just such a missed opportunity. And I mean, I know that you can't make room for it if there's no demand, but then there's another opportunity. What would it take, for example, to convince 1,000 people in Manila, just that, like 
people who work in one office building in Makati. If we could convince those people who pay a lot of money for gourmet pizza to ask those restaurants to start using Kesong Puti, couldn't that kickstart demand? Marie, of course, says that there's a long way to go before they even get there. They've got a lot of challenges up ahead for the industry itself as well. And the main problem with Kesong Puti right now is that Kesong Puti at the moment, um, most of the Kesong Puti, they don't melt. So it's super soft and airy, but when you heat it, it doesn't melt, it just dries up. But people, some people fry it, then of course it makes it extra like unhealthy. Um, so I said, okay, let's make something that combines both. I want a Kesong Puti that melts. So we were in PCC, we were innovating just on the side. I was there for three days with them, and in those three days, just making stuff up, we came up with eight products already. It was so fun, and it was so fun. Butter came out of that, the mama boo and the baby boo came out of that, the three-day creative session. So because I had the opportunity to, to live out in the West, right, and be in the forefront of a lot of things, a lot of things, food and everything else besides, so okay, why don't we make this cheese uh, like that. So it has the features of queso pute, which is when it's fresh, it's light. Fresh mozzarella is not, right? But then when you heat it, it melts, which, yeah. So how can we get that? And we actually came up with it. We call it queso carino. And it's called Mama, because the product is called Calabu, right? The brand is called Calabu, and the product is called Mamabu. And it's shaped like a mozzarella boss. So it's like shaped like a fist. And then, well, of course, if there's a Mamabu, there's got to be baby boos. So baby boos, which is like the bocconcini. We have that. So super cool, and it, you know, it actually got pretty good reception, but the challenge is it has a two-week shelf life. So it's short, and we can't price it as cheaply as Kesum Pote, but it's comparable to fresh mozzarella. But who are the people who buy fresh mozzarella, mostly restaurants, that are very cost-conscious? And then now, when, unfortunately, the chefs are still thinking, well, it's better to have imported products, right? But it's growing. So it's actually, Mamabu is one of our best-selling cheeses. But the, the thing is, because we pay more for the Carabao milk, we're actually adding a premium to it because that's what we want. What's the fastest way to uplift farmers is to pay more for to pay fair prices for their product. You know, they have a cost of goods for, for this. Why don't we increase it? Because it's not an easy job raising carabas. Why don't, we, why don't we make it financially rewarding for them? So that's why the cost is a lot. It's higher than what's common. And of course, the rigor that we put into it, it adds up to all those things. And if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Not a big deal. Let's not even talk about that. So the way we position Calabu is it's really the Mew Mew of dairy. When she was in the U.S., she says she often ate yogurt, the thick Greek-style ones like Chibani and Faye. So she thought, what about Carabao milk yogurt? With it being really rich and creamy, that could work. However, so yogurt only lasts like two, actually three weeks, even four. But we can't say that in printed because if they're not handling it properly. But really for people who know yogurt, they're okay to eat it, you know, because especially if it's unopened. Well, it's like a lot of education that we still have to do here. But ultimately, it's how good your product is. Right? No amount of marketing can lift up a product that's not good. You don't need like a lot of marketing if your product is really good. And you get the right people to talk about it. Fortunately, um, Chef Miko Aspiras, mm-hmm. who's an acclaimed pastry chef in the Philippines and someone I actually went to school with, 
In fact, if it weren't for him, honestly, because he was one of the first chefs, it's like, I love it. He's like, it gave us really the courage to go and like, hands down, right? And Chef Gaita Forest, she uses our butter. So these are like top restaurants. So you can imagine how, how premium it is. Mm -hmm. And the fact is it's even more premium now because supply is dwindling. And we have to build more dairy farmers to produce class A milk. So that's where our social impact is. Let's supply is low, which is fine because it forces us to really work with the farmers, which is really what the whole intention of the enterprise, right? It's a lot more work, but it now becomes a, it's a very finely tuned process from the beginning to the end. And at the farm, we're very lucky because we're able to taste test it across many kinds of palates, right? Across social economic classes, cultural, Right? We have the French interns here, we have German guests, Egyptian, Malaysian, Singaporeans, Japanese, Koreans. So they get to taste it, and when they say it's good, you know it's good. And then out comes the butter. I mean, who doesn't love butter now? So we have all those products, but we're focusing on butter. So after all that, we have to have a clearer messaging because, well, a lot of people like the cheese, the butter, yogurts. As a business, right? We have to be, we have to think long term, scaling mm -hmm. up. Butter is the first product, that our flagship product. That we want to really spend our energy on. Talk about it um, um, at length, right? Because it has, I mean, a butter, a butter consumer may not necessarily eat yogurt. So those are kind of like contra quote that indicators. But butter has a lot of uses. You can eat it on its own. You can put it on pasta. You can put it on really good bread. You can put it on fish. Finish it for steak, and it makes it good. But right now, with a ketogenic diet, everybody's talking mm -hmm. about it's a perfect, perfect <laughs> candidate for it. And for people, well, I'm yeah. eating the. This is the butter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Butter. Like butter is delicious, and I'm like crunching on it, and I want to eat the whole tongue. <laughs> you can. Some it's like. Have. It's like. Okay, this might not be the best like analogy, but. When I was really little, what I remember is that my parents would go to Subic Bay like for like um, vacations and whatnot. And they would always bring back Queensland butter, mm -hmm. like the thing in the tin. And yeah. it has a little bit of that kind of like, I don't know, like to me, that's just the first thing that kind of like, this is obviously not that, but because back then, like my parents associated that as a premium product and kind of just bringing back the conversation to how how Carabao products are viewed too. It's also, you know, a much larger conversation of why Western products are always viewed as much more superior than Philippine products. And that's what I'd like to discover on my on my visit right. here by speaking with a lot of uh, local entrepreneurs who are producing products that are proudly Filipino made. Mm -hmm. And it's quite exciting to me because working with a lot of you know mostly second generation Filipino American <coughs> chefs. Even if they're based there, and even if you know they don't remember much about the Philippines, maybe only go back once every 10 years to visit relatives and not much else, there's that hunger in them to mm -hmm. learn more about yeah. products that are based in the Philippines because there's a lot more awareness about Filipino culture and about you know social issues in the Philippines that they're aware of. They grow up in Western societies where there's a lot of emphasis on sourcing local and supporting sustainable agriculture and all that. So. Those kinds of ideas for them are a big driver to learn about what's here in the Philippines. And knowing that these types of products exist is really encouraging to me because I'm really excited to go to them and say, like, you guys, when you're in the Philippines next, like, you have to try this because it's it exists. And 
then learning about the, the social impact that supporting those types of products have is a very big draw for them uh, and interest. Yeah, it's true because, you know, let's face it, Philippines have, you know, we've never been known for excellent products, right? Especially the, the ones that's made to help people, their pity purchase. You buy it because you feel bad, you know, but it's now the, the conversation is let's create world-class products that people want for its own merit. Now the whole drive for excellence is it's relatively new, mm-hmm. right? So Philippine made means something, mm-hmm. not like shabby production, but you know when you think about made in Italy, you already know expect excellence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's already like expectation of premium quality. Mm-hmm. So that's what we want. I mean, it's gonna take time, but if there are some leading products out there already, especially based on on our own natural resources, it makes it really compelling. I mean, we are a rich agricultural country. I mean, we're rich and we're very diverse. The biodiversity in the Philippines is extensive, wide and deep. And we have a lot of species that are even available in the rest of the world. So, but we haven't been able to optimize it, right? So we haven't been able to really tap that. Or if we have, we haven't been able to give it the value that it deserves, mm-hmm. right? So now- and one example that Marie gives us to illustrate this kind of value that foods and other native products from the Philippines aren't getting is with my favorite animal, the pig. I was reading this article about the native pig. They're really, really good pigs for certain kinds of pork. It's actually known to be extinct. Here, you know, we value it, but not so much, but we value it enough. We use it for lechon and everything, but we don't, we see the value, but not the value with a capital V, you know what I mean? Like, wow, we're actually sitting in a gold mine. And that value with the capital V is so integral to shifting the perception that Marie talks about when it comes to local Filipino-made products. She explains that the question now for Carabao Dairy really becomes, how do we create this model that we can replicate and bring to farmers across the countryside? Well, we have this amazing product. How do we bring it down to the level of the farmer that's like living very far away, um, hardly any access to the market? So. The idea is we organize with the help of PCC and GK um, farmers, train them to like produce class A milk consistently, and there's a facility nearby where they make the butter. And then because of the brand, Calabu, which would now stand for premium and quality and just really good taste, then there's a, a market for it. We send it to Manila, we already have interest in Singapore and the US and Baguio, Davao, even local, right? That's what makes it a compelling and a promising proposition. There's demand already for this product. So now we can just produce in all these little places, now satisfy the local market. It's a very well thought out, I guess, value chain, but it's going to take a little while, especially now that supply is dwindling, but that's the challenge. It makes it interesting. I'm not just selling stuff, I'm actually I like to say we're purveying a dream. Next, I asked Marie if she could share how they were planning to actually get farmers to raise those carabaos that produce the top quality milk. Since the enterprise was created through Gawad Kalinga, were they hoping to tap into the network of those GK communities? And she said that, yes, absolutely. 
In fact, the overall plan is to get a number of these students who are studying at the farm, kids who were under this thing called a seed scholarship, to equip them with the training they needed to eventually run a whole network of little farms, like a collective or cooperative, or as Marie calls them, the dairy yards, kind of like a wine vineyard. As clusters of these seed students band together and collectively work on improving and standardizing the quality of milk in their herds, that then allows Marie, and by extension all the farming collectives, to get that butter into the hands of more consumers and markets. We're starting up with a prototype here at the farm, right? So two kinds of education, two kinds of training. So ultimately, these dairy yards will be run and owned by the seed students and also the GK communities that they serve. So the vision will be they will be the lead entrepreneurs. The GK communities or the surrounding areas will be their partners. So a lot of it really is an internal change versus really addressing the poverty of the mind, which we do in Gawad Kalina, like the ability to dream, for them to claim their right to be rich is what we call them, their right, right to the good things in life. Because if they're going to be purveying something excellent, they should know what excellence is. Mm-hmm. And then we're now exploring a partnership with SGS, which is a multinational company. They want to come in and really provide training and certification for quality. And then um, with the PCC, it's technical training. It's like a whole team of trainers to bring out the best, mm-hmm. not just in the product, but in people. It's great because then people have ownership. Like, I want everyone to have a sense of ownership of this thing that we do. That is your unique approach to it, uh, from what I see. And what really excites me about sharing these types of stories with, uh, with listeners is that there are stories like these in the Philippines that are just incredibly you know, humbling and heartwarming because it's such a different approach to building the business and building your enterprise is that it is going back to back to people who don't have much right now um, and giving them that that sense of ownership and the the core of it being restoring the dignity of the people who work here because even earlier I was talking with uh, Tita Tess uh, who does the peanut brittle and she she was talking to me in Tagalog, so we had this really like just um, kind of casual conversation, and she was telling me about. She's had some people approach her and say like, you know, do, can we can we invest in you as the company? But she was saying that you know I could have taken that, but because she wants people to see that she can do it for herself and that you know she can she can do that for her family and build the business herself and get her kids to help out and kind of show them by example that you know if you're really dedicated to doing something like you can do it mm-hmm. and it really like shows you that you know there's so much potential and there's a lot inbuilt in people that you kind of just want to tap into yes and i get the sense that that's you know that, that's a big driver to what you're doing yeah, no, you know, I'm- I'm so lucky to have this opportunity to live with them and to really get to know them on an intimate basis. I live with the seed kids. Mm-hmm. Right? I live with them, so I hear their dreams, I hear their fears, and but their generosity of, of spirit, the, the love for their family, it's like mind-blowing. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, heartbreaking in a really good way, you know, because mm-hmm. your heart is so full of love, like with the way they express it, and it just breaks because it, it can't contain that love anymore. For me, they're so heroic in a lot of ways. That, that drives me, like I want Calibu to succeed for them. This is, this is theirs, right? Mm-hmm. I'm building it for them. 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, it's 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 such an honor to to really get to see and to get inspired by these kids who are so without malice. They're yeah. not greedy at all. If anything, they would just give you what they have. And if you've listened to episode nine of this podcast, you know because I've talked about it at length, that these kids in the SEED program are genuinely people who I look up to myself. This next bit is my favorite part of the interview and easily the thing that stayed with me long after I talked with Marie. In my classes, the classmates asked the ones in the class, like, okay, what's the most expensive thing you bought for yourself? They had to clarify it because a lot of them, you know, I bought this for my family. No, 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 for yourself. Like two stood up for me. One, because she said that they're, they're far, she's far from the library and she really wants to read this book. So she bought, and she even explained, I earned the money from tutoring and I bought a calculus book. Okay. The other one was, you know, most of my money goes to supporting my family, so paying for electricity, paying for water, paying for food. And the most expensive thing I bought was this pair of jeans for 280 pesos. That's what, for five dollars. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, it blew, it blew my mind, but both of them are actually part of the dairy team. A calculus book and a pair of jeans. You guys, these are two of the most expensive things that these young, very bright, and talented students bought for themselves. Like a calculus book that so many kids, including myself, totally took for granted. And, you know, five bucks for a pair of jeans. After paying her households, electricity, rent, and food, I would have spent five dollars on a coffee most days, not even thinking about it. These are the young people pushing boundaries in the Philippines. People, I'm like tearing up right now, and that this has happened already so many times, like being here at the farm. It's because you do get, you know, again, living in, you don't even have to live in the West. You can just live in the city. Like many of my friends who still live in Manila, you know, you can grow up in this bubble, and it's not until you like, get a chance to even just talk with people like you don't have to talk to them for very long like yesterday i went in with lala i forgot her name already i met so many lalas and titas so far but i was there stuffing the plush and play twice with them and yeah they were just there i was sitting there watching like telenovelas with them and we were just stuffing and then they had their um because i guess it's some break now so like all the kids are at home and they were they were making pancit. They were cooking like lunch, and then they they offered me like a plate to come out, and I was like, no, sige po, okay lang, it's okay. Um, but they were very insistent, and so you know, I didn't, I I accepted, and I said, thank you, po, very much. Like you know, even just like little things like that, and those are the things that really make an impact on you when you yes. visit these types of communities. And on them. And on them, yeah. Like yeah. you take the time to like listen and kind of like hang out with them and just like kind of hear what they want to do and like how life is like for them because it really grounds you and I guess to kind of bring that back full circle with would you say that that how grounding has this been for you on a personal level coming from your were you in like an executive like marketing background in, in the U.S.? Like, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it, it keeps it so real, and the motivation is, so it gives me the courage to ask. I'm like, you guys, you gotta buy this, it's really good. And, you know, I don't play that card, right? It's the Kawawa card. No, but it gives me the courage to just go, because it's not for me. And it's a real thing, right? It's so empowering for me to be able to help them in real ways, not just giving them money. I mean, I can actually help end poverty for a few people in a very yeah. real way. But that's why I get impatient. I just do it fast and do it now. But to come up with a really amazing product, right, that chefs and restaurants and ideally, you know, um, Filipinos abroad can support and patronize, right? And to really show the world, it's grounding, but it's also the same time, like... Makes you want to dream so big. Dream, right? <laughs> the heavens, yeah. right? You want to just go for the, shoot for the stars or whatever. And it's there, but then you come back here, I come back here, so I spend half my time here with them, and I will talk to, you know, chefs, and how you can bridge that and actually make something happen, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And my background is that, right? I worked on Pepsi and Dizzy and Ikea, and it's from as a copywriter and as a, as a client service and product manager. It's like, wow, it now makes sense. All these years of toiling and climbing the, you know, corporate ladder and pursuing the American dream actually super beneficial here it's, it's so it's grounding but at the same time liberating and the sense of freedom and it's almost like yeah i know i know why i'm here mm-hmm. you know talk about like shooting for the stars our butter now is actually being served by a month below it's so good Watch that they serve eat. it as butter pats it's not even as an ingredient like i mean my dream is for that butter pat to mean something so all these red, the places who would have it would be like yeah yeah, this that's what like, we got. This is quality. This is pretty, <laughs> this is what it means to have. When you go to a restaurant that has that, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm in a world class restaurant. Yeah. My sincerest thanks to Marie Novasora for meeting with me for this interview, which we recorded at the GK Enchanted Farm. I am always floored by the people who take time to answer my questions, and in the general sense, just with the energy and ability and realness they bring to the table. Visit www.calaboo.com, that's C-A-L-A-B-O-O dot com, to find out more about their products, put an order in, or find stockists in and around Metro Manila. Pick up that butter when you can. I promise you will not regret it. Music for this episode is by David Seste, Eric and McGill, Podington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. You can find their music on fma.org. Head over to exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes, and while you're there, check out the archives where you can listen to episodes now by theme and topic discussed. I'd love to hear what you think. Please like the show on Facebook if you haven't already. Just search for Exploring Filipino Kitchens. And again, best thing you can do is tell a friend about it. These stories are worth sharing. Maraming salamat, and until next month, thank you for listening.